0: Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life, and I've had the best guests on. Today's will blow your mind. He's the foremost authority in the country on cults. It's Rick Allen Ross. He's the author of Cults Inside Out. He has a compelling website, too. That's all in show notes, but this is a great episode. You'll get to meet him right after this. You know, I'm sitting in the comfort of my office now, recording some spots, and the doorbell rings. It's Cornerstone Pharmacy. Yeah. Uh, compounding at cornerstone.com delivers to those of us in Little Rock, Arkansas for the low, low price of free. But better than that, for those of you listening outside of Little Rock, Arkansas, you can still go online, order your supplements, uh huh, order your hormone testing and get 20% off. Yeah. Code is Lisa at checkout. And these are the people that our Kansans have been depending on for more than 20 years for hormone replacement therapy. But there are so many other things that are available, and it doesn't have to be something where you think, Well, I don't need hormone replacement. You might want some supplements. They have the pure encapsulations, which I really, really like, and some other lines. And those things can help you mitigate some health problems. So, compounding at cornerstone.com, link is in the show notes. You save 20% at checkout when you use the magical word Lisa. I hope you do. And guess what? You'll be feeling better in 2023. It's time to talk flooring and maybe even Christmas gift ideas from Acles Carpet One. One.com, three locations in central Arkansas, one in North Little Rock, you and I call it mail. it's mail Boulevard people, one in West Little Rock and one over in Sherwood and all three locations. I've been to all of them. They all have great customer service, product knowledge is outstanding and here's the deal, They beat the big box store prices. I think I really kind of buried the lead, as we say in journalism, but that's how I should have started it. They will beat the big box store prices and people come in from all over, from other states. So our friends who are listening outside of Arkansas, you can still come to Acle's Carpet One and get a great deal. You can get zero interest if paid in full within 12 months. They have the LVP, which is the luxury vinyl plank. That's the one that that the Acles girls have been telling me both Courtney and Erica say that's the bomb.com right now that's what everybody's kind of looking for for flooring because it's so affordable and it looks so good and no one knows it's not marble or you know whatever you want hardwoods or all the things so check that out when you go go online call them here's the other thing they answer their phone you know the big buck store mm-hmm Sometimes I don't answer the phone. And they always have good customer service. So check it out. Find them online, akelscarpet onecom She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. I know I'm not the only one who loves a good cult story and documentary, and if you've seen one, Rick Allen Ross was probably the guy they interviewed. He's the foremost authority on cults, and I've heard your story, but my listeners need to hear. What got you so interested? Like, you were way before there was a social media where you could share these things, but you were investigating cults before it was cool. What got you interested?
1: Well, Lisa, it was a personal situation. My grandmother was in a nursing home. Uh, The professional staff was covertly infiltrated by a group that planted its members there intentionally to target the elderly. And my grandmother was harassed. Uh, This took place around 1982. And I found out about it. I realized that a nurse's aide was harassing her. I found the backstory, talked to the director of the nursing home, and ultimately five people were let go who were associated with this fringe religious group. And that led to kind of a, a, a certain amount of uh, news reporting in the community. This was in Phoenix. And uh, subsequently I was appointed on, on numerous committees, uh, first in Phoenix and then nationally. And then I worked for a social service agency Uh, specifically dealing with uh, radical religious groups and cults.
0: Now, in 1982, what were you doing for a living? Were you a news reporter or were you a lawyer? Like, what would give you such a deep dive into investigation into something that you weren't connected with?
1: Well, you know, I was in a totally different kind of thing. Uh, My cousin owned a very large wrecking yard in Arizona, in phoenix and i was uh involved in the wrecking yard business and we would scrap cars uh crush metal uh and rebuild some automobiles and then warehouse parts and i was uh, very involved in that business and i had no interest in anything that had to do with cults Uh, i think if it hadn't been for the fact that my grandmother was targeted I, I probably never would have become involved. So it was very serendipitous how it all happened. And then it just kind of kind of rolled along uh, and I was doing interventions. I would eventually do over 500 in the United wow. States and, and internationally. Wow. And then uh, around 1990, 91, an attorney contacted me and said, I'd like you to be an expert witness in a court proceeding. And that was the beginning of my work as an expert witness in court. Uh, I've now been qualified in 11 states, including United States Federal Court. Wow. And and then as it rolled on and on, it just kept getting bigger. And there was this obscure group that I dealt with in the 80s that no one had ever heard of, which was the Waco Davidians. Wow. And, uh, and, and when... All hell blo- broke loose yeah. in Texas in that cult standoff. That ultimately many people died. Yes, uh, I was the only cult expert who had actually dealt with the Davidians, and in fact, I had deprogrammed three Davidians. And so the the first the BATF and then the FBI consulted me, and then of course much later, bringing you current, uh, I dealt with Nexium. Wow. I was the first first cult expert to deal with Nexium and the first person to put critical information about the cult leader Keith Ranieri, online. And in my book, Cults Inside Out, it's the first book to even mention Nexium about cults. And Keith Ranieri and I re, we really went through quite a tangle together because he sued me for 14 years mm. and and the lawsuit was dismissed out of federal court shortly before his arrest uh, but he spent five million dollars suing me lisa are you for kidding o- me? O- over a, over a decade
0: for defamation of character de- libel slander
1: oh uh defamation uh product disparagement copyright violation copyright violation viol- Trade secret violation. Well, the, his, his premise was that I published articles uh, by a psychiatrist and a clinical psychologist that had reviewed the curriculum that he was, he was teaching through Nexium, which was a, a seminar selling uh, self-help, uh, self-improvement course curriculum. And you'd go through these intensives for like a week, two weeks, and pay outrageous amounts of money. And so the doctors reviewed the notes and the curriculum, and then they critiqued it. And in their analysis, they would quote from the literature, from the notes. And so Ranieri came up with this crazy idea. Well, you know, that's my trade secret. And those words are under copyright. And so he pursued it for 14 years.
0: Well, we know he's a fool. Is he serving time now, finally?
1: Oh yeah okay. he's uh he is serving over a hundred twenty years I, I was
0: thinking he and was so yeah.
1: yeah so so he's like sixty, and let's uh, assume that he he makes it to parole. he'll be well over a hundred years old, so I think it's safe to say Keith Raniere is going to die in prison good as and he then should. and then there were then there were others that were in prison along with him uh Claire Bronfman, yeah. the Seagram's heiress she's Doing over six years, Nancy Salzman, uh, who is just a terrible uh, person that I had to deal with over the years, very destructive, uh, very malicious. Uh, she is doing only three and a half years because she was the first one to flip and do a deal. Um. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if you remember, but when they raided her house, they found five hundred thousand in cash stashed in her yeah. house. Yeah. She was, she was quite a character.
0: Well, let me ask you something. So with your grandma, um, what, what was the name of that cult? Do you ever go forward with that?
1: It was called the Jewish Voice Broadcast. And uh, my family is Jewish. I'm Jewish. My grandmother was in a, a Jewish nursing home. And that group saw itself as a kind of fundamentalist Pentecostal outreach okay. targeting, targeting okay. Jews specifically.
0: So, it, it, for money, they're they're trying to get grandma's money.
1: Well, I don't think so because my grandmother did not have any money. Uh, but but I think that they did get money from a number of elderly people, and perhaps they thought they might get some from her. Uh, but their ministry was more based on constant fundraising online. Uh, at the time, it would have been a cable network, TBN, yeah. Yeah. Trinity yeah. Broadcasting yeah. Network, that carried their show. And in those days, a guy by the name of Louis Kaplan, who was a, f- a former my Jew. My maiden who name.
0: A- yes, Kaplan was my birth <laughs> name. So yeah, I'm, right, I'm tracking yeah. with you.
1: Uh, well, he he became a, a Pentecostal minister, uh, but his background was Jewish. And, and so... He was, if you will, kind of a Jews, Jew for Jesus right. kind of thing, yeah. not affiliated with that organization, yeah. which was uh, launched by a guy by the name of Martin Rosen, who's now deceased. Right. But any, anyway, it was a, a group, Lisa, that in my mind maliciously targeted Jews specifically for proselytizing. So, And uh, I, I had no objection to them Sharing their faith, right. but the idea that they covertly planted their people on the staff of a Jewish nursing home uh, That just violated every ethical principle. I could think
0: I of. understand, but no crimes were committed
1: No, no crimes were committed though. They were the people that were on the staff were fired and that led to kind of pulling together a consensus in the uh, interfaith community in Phoenix what is or is not ethical in missionary work? Uh, number one, don't target people in nursing homes that don't invite you. Right, yeah, uh, I go, go through the front door. Yeah. Say, we're doing a Bible study. Is anybody interested? Yeah. And then people can sign up. Uh, do not try to recruit minors without parental notification or consent. Uh, do not target incarcerated prisoners who are not interested don't go and preach to a captive audience, literally, and don't go cruising hospitals and and uh, rehabilitation centers, trying to find people that are ill that are going through a difficult time and target them without them requesting you to come in and their families being aware of that. It's so it's, so it's, we found that, that we found that there was a consensus on
0: that. Yeah, it's protecting the vulnerable, which if we don't do something in this country right now, we've got to protect children, we've got to, and we've got to protect vulnerable people. So I I totally respect that, but I just didn't know, because then as you did a deeper dive into the cults that exist today, crimes are usually involved.
1: Frequently, frequently. Um, People will often say to me though, I, I probably get a call every day or an email, saying uh, isn't it illegal for people to be brainwashed? Isn't it illegal for coercive persuasion mm. techniques to be used to break break people down and gain undue influence over them? And the answer is not in the US. Uh, it's becoming uh, a crime in Europe and the UK, but not in the US. So until they get involved in financial fraud, right. extortion, physical abuse, medical neglect, abuse of minor children, right. different things like that, where they cross the line, simply gaining undue influence over people and then exploiting them uh, within the parameters of the law is, you can get away with it. And there are many cult leaders who are very rich and right. who have taken advantage of, of people and, and they have enriched themselves and become quite, uh, quite wealthy. From being cult leaders.
0: So, just mentioning Nexium and I, I'm the others that I'm thinking of the FLDS. Um, gosh, we have Tony Alamo here in Arkansas. There, are, sex is one draw and money is the other draw. Are those the two tenets that identify something as a cult?
1: Well, there are three core characteristics, Lisa. Number one, there is a charismatic leader who has no meaningful accountability, a totalitarian <laughs> yes. dictator, yes. Yes. Uh, who becomes an object of worship, like uh, like Tony Alamo yeah. did. Uh, number two, there would be an identifiable process of coercive persuasion being used to break people down, change them, subordinate them, or basically compromise their ability to critically think to gain undue influence. That's the brainwashing then, part. Yes, okay. and then the third the third element would be: Is the group destructive? Uh, does the group exploit people? Do harm to people? And uh, that varies by degree from group to group. Some groups are much worse than others. The Alamo group was an extreme group. I mean, Tony, Tony Alamo basically was kind of uh, uh, the boyfriend of and uh, husband later of the founder of the the ministry which was uh susan yeah his wife That's right and when she died they for a long time thought that she would resurrect and they were praying and so on but tony alamo took over and it became a multi-million dollar financial empire based out of arkansas but across the united states and uh alamo abused uh mm-hmm. he abused mm-hmm. members of the group sexually mm-hmm. he took advantage of young women, Mm -hmm. children, and he exploited them for his own sexual benefit. And eventually, of course, he ended up uh, being convicted criminally and going to prison. Uh, But for many years, the Alamo group made these very elaborate, they would take a, a Levi jacket and they would have all their members embroider sequins and and gemstones and everything. And they would make these incredibly beautiful hand-embroidered jackets, which they would sell for an outrageous amount of money in Hollywood, mostly in California. Mm-hmm. And, and celebrities would buy them, not knowing right. that there were members of the group with their fingers bleeding yeah. from doing this work. Right who knows how many hours a day so that's one example of how Alamo exploited the members of the group to make money and so you have groups that have an absolute authoritarian leader use coercive persuasion to gain undue influence and then to some degree harm and exploit the members those are the three core characteristics of a destructive cult
0: and you know, the thing about Tony Alamo, he was a Jew at birth and became a Christian. Mm-hmm. And Susan, they had different names. They thought they were gonna be discovered in Hollywood. I've done a deep dive because I am in Arkansas and I've been a news reporter all these years. So we've covered the story. And as you know, like with a lot of criminals, they have to get them on something like US mail fraud. You know, they mm-hmm. they it it's so hard to peg these people because as you know, the victims then don't come forward they're embarrassed they're still in it they they still think like they it's so hard to reverse brainwashing so when i did some research on it and i saw that families like when he would approach a family they it's like in the flds when warren jeffs would come in you know they would he would part the red sea people would come over and he would say and i pick you my child and the child's nine and the and the family willingly agrees they're culpable that's whose head needs to be on a platter these parents who would agree to allow their children to be violated in ways that I can't even talk. I mean, it's so difficult to even wrap your mind around as a parent.
1: Well, well, Lisa, you know, the FLDS is a kind of unique kind of thing. Let's keep in mind that this is a group that goes back about a hundred years yes. and uh, they are a splinter from the mainstream Mormon LDS Church, because in 1890, the president of the church, Woodruff, uh, declared polygamy no more. He said, no more polygamy. So all these groups Because they started on
0: polygamy, right? I mean, Joseph Smith's vision was about polygamy, right?
1: Well, Joseph Smith had over 40 wives. There you go. Brigham Brigham Young had over 50 wives. But in 1890, in order to become a
0: state,
1: Utah, the the church did a complete course correction and they said no more polygamy. And there were people that wanted to continue this lifestyle. They believed that it it was mandated by the founder of the church and the, the second most important person in the church, Brigham Young in its history. So they felt this is what we are supposed to do. And the FLDS created their communities relatively in isolation in Colorado City, Arizona and Hilldale, Utah. And for many decades, they lived there in isolation, uh, controlling the town, controlling the police force, controlling the schools, controlling public works and creating an empire that under Warren Jeff's father, Rulon Jeff's, was valued at somewhere between 150 and 200 million dollars. So, and included 10,000 people that were multi-generational. So when you talk about the parents, Lisa, you have to understand they knew no other life. This was their life. This was what they grew up in. They were born into it. Their, their father, their mother was born into it. Their grandparents were born into it. So the unfortunate thing is that Rulon Jeffs was a very authoritarian, and he could be quite harsh leader. But his son, Warren, Warren Jeffs, crazy psychopath. So once he took over the reins of power, he took things to a level that had never been imagined. I mean, he was uh-huh. having sex with 10-year-olds. Uh, And he created this yearning for Zion Ranch near El Dorado, Texas, that was this elaborate compound with a temple. I mean, he spent millions of dollars building it. And then he brought all these families there with children and everything, and he created his own uh, world. And what we see in cults is social isolation. Mm -hmm. And, and, And by doing that, the leader is able to eliminate filter out reality, and instead create a false reality, a pseudo-reality, in a kind of bubble world controlled by the cult leader. And so you have all these kids, all these families thinking, this is where God wants us. Mm. If I leave, I will be damned. And in the polygamist FLDS, they tell them, if you leave the organization, you will lose your salvation. And when you die, you will be suspended in eternal darkness forever and so there's all this fear that's abusive right there yeah and so the parents feel they have no choice the children feel they're doing what god has mandated and it's a crazy kind of upside down world where what we think is crazy they think is normal and what we think of as normal they think is absurd yeah so, you know, that's the story of the FLDS. Thank God they went in, they raided the place, they found information in the Yearning for Zion Ranch, and now Warren Jeffs is in prison in Texas, still running the group right. from he's prison. Right, he's still calling the shots. Yeah. That's
0: still what I think. Still calling. So do those people not have internet access to read about Warren Jeffs to see that he is a psychopath?
1: Well, Lisa, what's happening to FLDS is, I call it a death by a thousand cuts so what's happening is yes people are accessing information online the group is disintegrating there are less and less members more and more and more former members hilldale utah and colorado city arizona are now completely different than they were when he was reigning supreme outside of prison and uh also all the money's being cut you know the all of their their side hustles, Mm -hmm. their businesses Mm -hmm. that were fueled by the group's low labor costs or free labor costs, that's all being dried up. So I think the FLDS is on its way out. And then there's another big polygamist group called the Kingston clan Mm. that also is in Utah. They also accumulated assets in excess of a hundred million dollars. And that group is, is slowly, you know, being, uh, cut here, cut there by law enforcement. And eventually, I think it might bleed out.
0: Now, FLDS typically, now I can't make a blanket statement, these groups are anti-Semitic. I would assume FLDS is because they're the only way, according to them. Why would they use the term Zionist? Because that's a very Jewish term.
1: Well, look, they're not specifically anti-Semitic, but you're right, Lisa, they're they're certainly exclusive, ethnocentric group that says, hey, we are the only group that has the truth. The mainstream Mormon church is wrong. Other polygamist groups are wrong. Only our leader is the true prophet. And either you submit to our authority or you're lost so uh they see themselves as a restoration of the uh, the priesthood of aaron and they see themselves as the new chosen people uh there's been a lot of um a lot of uh reporting lately about a movement called the black hebrews or the black israelites uh you know there was a, a a basketball player that was putting links online uh to the to these uh, groups and their videos, uh, many of which are shared through YouTube, by the way. Uh, Those groups see themselves as the chosen people. They are the true Israel. Uh, African-Americans, they say, are the chosen people of God. And they are very anti-Semitic and and very specifically focus anti-Semitic messages about Jews because they say the Jews are not really Israel, they are liars. And in fact, we are the chosen people. We have uh, supplanted them, replaced them. They are no longer genuine. So there are groups that are cults that are very anti-Semitic, um, But typically what a cult will say is, look, it's our way or you're lost. There is no other way. There is no other future than through us. And so they create a kind of we-they world where if you are not part of the group, uh, you feel compromised. You feel like you have turned away from God. You've turned away from the truth. uh, Mm -hmm. You have no pathway to success. Mm -hmm. And the group makes you dependent. They engender dependency upon the group and the leader to feel fulfilled, to feel your Your life has purpose, meaning, and hope.
0: What's interesting, I think um, FLDS, maybe LDS, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses, they all use the 144,000 terminology from the Bible. And so they're saying of all the aggregate Mormons or LDS or whatever their religion is, only 144,000 of us are getting to go to build the new Jerusalem or they'll be in the promised land it or whatever their term. And I forget what they're ta- talking when they talk about heaven. Is that a common characteristic among some of these groups?
1: Well, you're talking about those groups that are based on the Bible. Yeah. Uh, because, because many of the groups in the U.S. are based on the Bible yeah. because it has credibility. It has authority. It's uh, more saleable than having a message based on outer space aliens yeah, or right, something else. Right. So, so what, what, they, what they will do is they will hook on to different uh, verses which they will manipulate to reinforce their authority and control people. And the 144,000, which is mentioned in the Bible, I think in Revelations, right. is, is one of the keys. Mm-hmm. Now, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Russell, charles russell Uh, he he was uh at a time at at the time that he was leading the group uh you know they had less than one hundred and forty-four thousand. so he probably thought that was a pretty good hook for recruitment yeah and that he could he could keep recruiting but then of course jehovah's witnesses far surpassed that number and now they have what is known as the anointed class which are those people that will be part of the 144,000 and others will not. And I think with Jehovah's Witnesses, what you can see, Lisa, is a group that began, in my opinion, as a destructive cult under one man. Uh, it was no, They were known actually as the Russellites. And oh. then a, a man by the name of Rutherford succeeded Russell. And then it continued to be a personality cult. Dick, Dictated over by one man, but after the death of Rutherford, power devolved, and now the Jehovah's Witnesses have what is um, called the governing body, which is about a dozen or so white men, old men, who run the organization, and uh, they choose who will replace who, and who will come in to this governing group, uh, which lives very well, under <laughs> under the auspices of Jehovah's Imagine Witnesses. That. And, and, and they exercise complete power. But I would say that now the witnesses are not a destructive cult, in my opinion, but they are, in, in my opinion, a destructive authoritarian organization. Uh, because I would make the distinction that when they were ruled over by one individual, they fit the criteria of a destructive cult. Got it. But when, when they devolved power mm-hmm. to a governing body, it was a step in in another direction, albeit uh, they are still, in my opinion, very destructive.
0: Wouldn't you also include then in your definition that um, if you choose to leave that organization and you are then permanently estranged, you are shunned by your family, wouldn't that be another tenant to what a cult is? Because a lot of these we're talking about you don't. You can't leave, or if you do, you never see your family again, which is obviously a big deterrent.
1: Well, I I think that's one of the things you look for, Lisa. You look for a group that. Uh, in you ask this question: Is there any legitimate reason to leave? Or if I leave, am I judged to be uh, a negative in some way? Am I ostracized? I mean, because that is not a typical church or a typical organization. People quit clubs, they switch political parties, they move from one church to another, and they are not condemned by their former group. Uh, But when you are in a group that makes you feel there is no legitimate reason to leave, then you might be in a cult or a cult-like authoritarian group. And Jehovah's Witnesses has uh, a feature of their group called disfellowshipping in which they uh, will read out and and designate that someone has been disfellowshipped, and then they may be shunned by their family, their friends, and, and ostracized. Also, the Mormon church has excommunication, yeah. in which they would shun, not to the ex- extent of Jehovah's Witnesses, but quite substantially, and perhaps the most withering uh, group, in regards to uh, shunning people is Scientology.
0: Mm. It's no secret that I have really high standards about what I eat and what I feed my family, including my grandkids. And I know that I can be satisfied both in the quality of ingredients and how delicious it is at Jess's Chicken. Jess's Chicken is a standalone property right now for the Bubba's family, and you might know the Bubba's family because of David's Burgers. So yes, that's uh, their sister stores, you know, all the hamburgers, but now they're devoting this same type of attention, you know, quality service, you know, the friendliest people in their drive-thru, in the store, and that's at Jess's Chicken. The one location is on Rodney Parham in Wessel and because of COVID, you know, we were waiting, and finally, the unveiling and uh, everything has been Perfection. And get this. This is a great place to get something for somebody on your Christmas list. Always get a gift card at one of their locations for either Jess's Chicken or anything for David's Burgers. And you know, people will be happy. And at Jess's Chicken, this is the place that has the really good sodas, the scapegoat sodas that are exclusive to their store made with real cane sugar. So not with the The crap, you know, if you want to say it, it's the crap. And also that their boneless, skinless chicken nuggets and breast fillets are hand-breaded, tender and juicy, and they have some gluten-free options. I love the chicken salad. I love the savory and the sweet. And it's all at Jess's Chicken, Chicken Jess'sChicken.com.
1: Scientology has what's called a disconnection policy. So if you were critical of Scientology, they might label you, as they have me, a suppressive person, an SP And then they would say that if you hang out with an SP, you are a PTS, a potential trouble source. So that's not a good thing. So basically, they have this disconnection policy. And if you leave, your family disconnects from you, your friends in Scientology disconnect from you, and they have nothing whatsoever to do with you. And so many people are very reluctant to leave Scientology because they're afraid of how that's going it's going to affect their life in regards to their family, their friends, and so forth.
0: In the, the first meeting where they rush you as a Scientologist, I guess they don't bring that part up.
1: No, no. <laughs> right. And, and, and what, what's weird about Scientology, Lisa, is you're paying for for enlightenment. Big money. So, yeah, big money, and, and you're moving up the mm-hmm. levels. First, you reach what they call clear, uh, which could cost quite a bit of money. And then you start moving up these operating Thetan levels, T H E T A N Thetan, thetan levels. Uh, it rhymes so,
0: with Satan levels. It, yes, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it does. But it's uh, you go up the OT levels, OT right. one through OT eight. I think Tom Cruise is an OT eight now. Uh, John Travolta an OT seven. So is Christioli. David Miscavige
0: then the OT eight? Is he at the top?
1: Well, he's he's beyond that. He they call him. Uh, the chairman of the board. I mean, he is an absolute dictator yeah. over Scientology. Yeah. And uh, in in that sense, Scientology, in my opinion, continues to be a destructive cult because L. Ron Hubbard died in 1986. And David Miscavige, who was his secretary and kind of gatekeeper, became in his 20s the virtual dictator of Scientology. And he froze out the Hubbard family, took over the entire oh. uh, empire. And and when Elron Ron Hubbard died, he left an estate that was declared around $600 million. But today, oh Scientology is worth somewhere between 3 and $4 billion. Unbelievable. So, and it's all tax-exempt, pretty much, and they own property all over the world. But they're not a
0: religion.
1: Well, they are acknowledged and uh, officially recognized as a religion by the United States Internal Revenue Service. So they have 501c3 uh, nonprofit religious status, which means they don't have to pay property taxes on their properties that they hold in their portfolio. And I mean, it is very substantial uh, real estate portfolio that they have. Uh, They own a chunk of uh, LA, Los Angeles, Hollywood. And Florida. the and oh, Clearwater! Yes, Clearwater. Yeah. Clear- yes, yeah. So Scientology is just an incredibly wealthy organization, though it is it is uh, losing members on a constant basis. They they will say they have millions of members, but I think in actual real terms, committed people that are doing coursework that are involved, it it could be as few as twenty five thousand or perhaps as many as 50,000.
0: Then what is? what do those people do? Because once you go live on the compound, what are you doing to make money? Because you still have to push money into the organization. I guess they have these companies then that are run by Scientologists that are out there working for a living and making money and putting the money in. Because it seems like they're so isolated they're not out in the real world, except for the actors. Well,
1: well, Lisa, there are two categories of Scientologists to look at. One is called the CSEA organization.
0: Oh, uh, the Sea Org, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Sea Org. Yeah. Now, the
1: Sea Org has maybe 5,000 people. Okay. And they eat, sleep, yes. breathe, live, Total Scientology, 24-7. They're living in Scientology housing. They're working at Scientology facilities uh, across the United States and around the world. Then you have what are called the publics, which are people that are paying to be uh,
0: uh, put through
1: courses, auditing, which is spiritual Mm -hmm. counseling Mm -hmm. in Scientology. Uh, they're they're, but they're living a, a regular life like uh, John Travolta. He has his homes He yes. has his 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 life though. I would say that the celebrities which represent the highest uh, caste order mm-hmm. of Scientology they're cocooned quite a bit and uh, There are many people that are kind of buzzing around them that are Scientologists that are there to help them serve them make their life easier and then, of course, Scientology has the celebrity centers where right. they hope that they can recruit celebrities or give celebrities special treatment that are in Scientology. Uh, one of the things that is very uh, much uh, in the news lately is the case of Danny Masterson. Oh, yes. da- Danny, Danny Masterson was uh, one of the stars of the That 70s show. And he is being accused of raping a number of women mm-hmm. and those women were in Scientology mm. and they claim that because they were in Scientology Scientology tried to keep them quiet mm-hmm. tried to uh, muzzle them so that Danny Masterson one of their celebrity members would uh, not have to be dragged into court and and Scientology would not have to be exposed in the way they are being exposed through the Masterson trial which just recently ended in a declared mistrial and this mm. scheduled new trial but uh, what the women are saying is that because they were in scientology and because masterson was a celebrity member they were uh, more or less handled by scientology and told to shut up and not to go to the police not to do anything now scientology denies that they say that they would never tell uh, a member not to report a crime uh, perpetrated by another member i find that hard to believe and i've dealt with scientology for many years and i've i've dealt with uh some of their tactics and harassment and so forth and i think that the stories that are told by these women that say they were raped by Danny Masterson are very believable.
0: Me too. I absolutely believe them. When John Travolta's wife, who uh, finally passed away from breast cancer, Kelly Preston, was she denied medical care, or did she not pursue medical care because of their auditing? Or is auditing only psychological?
1: Well, Lisa, a lot of times people uh, misunderstand Scientology. Scientology does not prohibit medical care. You can go to oh. your dentist, you can go okay. to your onco- right. oncologist, right. uh, whomever. What they prohibit is treatment by mental health professionals. Right. Uh, no clinical psychologist, uh, no marriage and family therapist, no, no uh, psychiatrist, no uh, psychiatric medication. Uh, This may have affected uh, the life of Jet Travolta, John Travolta's Mm -hmm. son who was autistic Mm -hmm. and might have benefited from uh, Mm -hmm, different types mm -hmm. of care from mental health professionals. But as far as Kelly Preston, who died from cancer, uh, she would have gotten, I would think, the best medical care possible uh, because that is not in the sphere of, of mental health, her ailment. And uh, that was a very unusual marriage. There have been claims again and again and again that John Travolta is gay. Right. And that he lives uh, an alternate life right. uh, secretly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that Kelly Preston and John Travolta were very close. Uh, they must have been best friends. Yeah. Uh, and, and he seemed to take her death very hard. Yeah. Uh, and she was a hardcore Scientologists, right to the mm. right to the end, and John Travolta has repeatedly claimed that Scientology has helped him get through the death of his son Jet, the death of his wife <sighs> Kelly Preston. Uh, but I would argue that Scientology has um, I think hurt John Travolta at times, yeah, but uh, and many people in Hollywood will say, well, you know, John Travolta is a great person, he's very nice. Uh, But I know of people that he was close to in Scientology, that were in Sea Org, that when they reached out to him for help, or they were in distress, he pretty much ignored them. So Um, uh, I think mm -hmm. people like John Travolta and Tom Cruise always put Scientology first over, you know, the human needs of people. Uh, and you might recall that Paul Hadges, the the film director and scriptwriter, uh, responsible for the movie Crash, I think he uh, has yeah. an Oscar yeah. for that. Uh, and anyway, he when he left Scientology, he was very concerned about his family also coming out because he recognized the potential for family estrangement yes. And he, he was fortunate that they all did. Uh, same thing with Leah Remini. Yeah. Uh, when she came out of Scientology, her family basically came out with her, and so she didn't have to go through that hardship or that suffering. But the the man who works with Leah Remini on on their television program and their podcast, Mike Rinder, oh, he went through he went through hell, absolute mm. hell. He lost his family. He went through just incredible suffering Well, they'll
0: chase you down too i mean they harass you which there's a crime that's what i'm saying these crimes are overlooked the whole shelly miscavige thing where's shelly miscavige we still don't know they say lapd knows they've turned Uh. a blind eye to it what do you think she's alive
1: oh yeah she's in a facility in northern california probably very comfortable uh but whether she recognizes it or not, she's there because David Miskevich didn't want her around, and so he put her in this relatively obscure facility. Oh, he
0: wrote her and off. She, he
1: okay. he basically said, "Get thee to a nunnery." <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean that's that would be the analogy I would use. You know, in the old days, if a king in the medieval Europe wanted to get rid of somebody, he'd send a, a woman. He'd send her to a nunnery where she'd be a cloistered nun. I think Shelley Meskavage is somewhat like that. She's isolated in a Scientology wow. facility, cut off from a lot of people what like torture. Leah, like Leah Remini, yeah. who who was trying to find her. And but I think uh, they've done wellness checks of Shelly Meskavage. Mis- that is the police uh, have come out okay. and they say, "Are you okay? Are you ill? Do you want to leave?" And of course, <laughs> no. she's a hard, she, she's a hardcore member. She's uh. saying. I I want to stay. I want to be here. I'm fine. And she's probably being fairly well treated as the wife of the chairman of the board of Scientology. But in my opinion, the reason she's there is David Miscavige just wanted her out of the way. He did not want her around anymore, and he put her there.
0: Okay, there's one cult, and I've heard you in a lot of conversations, and I don't think I've heard you talk about this one, and this one is near and dear to me because they are neighbors in Tennessee, and I was a part of the Bible study with Gwen Shamlin when it was just uh-huh. the Way Down workshop. I did the Bible study, and then my friends in Nashville, I remember my friend emailing me and say. My friend knew Gwen said she's totally off the rails. She says she's the only way to God. She doesn't believe in the Trinity, the things, because I'm Jewish by birth, became a Christian in college. So I I love both faiths. Um, But with that, we all wrote her off. Well, then that, as you know, was, is a very serious situation. And she obviously dies in a plane crash. So what, what are your feelings on the Remnant Church and Way Down Workshop?
1: Well, I, I dealt with Gwen Chamblin uh, through families calling me for many, many years, oh. and they would, they would, they would say, "Look, we have a family member in remnant, and uh, we c- we don't communicate. We have yep. no communication whatsoever." And so uh, the same kind of cutting off and isolation went on with the Shamblin Church in that I witnessed over the years, and of course, as you say. She said, "We're the only way. I'm the only person that yep. can lead you. I'm. You need yep. to subordinate yourself to me." And she became like a queen. If you if you look at the video when she married Joe Lara, <laughs> uh, I who, love
0: that who, video. Anyone uh, listening, crazy? You you've gotta crazy. Google it. It is insane. I mean,
1: it <laughs> is insane. Uh, but but now Joe Lara Joe Lara's uh, former girlfriend, the mother of his daughter, right. actually retained me, and I would have been an expert witness in the custody oh battle between between Joe Lara and and his oh my uh, his, his his estranged girlfriend oh. Natasha. Right. So so Natasha was not able to get me in as an expert because the judge ruled incredibly in this case that no no testimony regarding remnant fellowship or Gwen Shamblin would be relevant to the custody battle, even though uh, it was absolutely relevant. It's because Gwen, Gwen Shamblin was controlling the, the little girl yeah. and controlling her food, controlling her diet. I mean, these people basically okay. starve themselves and, and they have to be thin. So uh, Gwen Shamblin's husband, David, he got kind of fat.
0: Oh, and they, they so, wrote him off. So, they shelly yeah. miscavaged him right out of there.
1: Well, but, but a lot of money changed hands. I mean, Gwen Shamblin gave him about $3 million in cash. <laughs> uh, he got a part of a real estate portfolio that was valued at $20 million. And what, what happened when uh, Gwen Shamblin died, and, and many people believe Joe Lara, who was not a licensed pilot, was actually flying the jet right. and flew it, into, flew it into a lake. And they all died. Horrible. What happened out of that was the realization that Gwen Shamblin was very rich, and that she was not going to give even a penny to the to the church uh, to carry on after her. She gave all the money to her children. Uh, oh. Now, now, uh, many of the leaders died with Gwen Shamblin. Yeah. I would I would predict that this will be a disintegrating group, because. In most often what happens, Lisa, when a cult leader dies right. or is put in prison, uh, think of the cult leader as like the hub of a wheel. And when the hub is missing, the wheel begins to collapse or, or begins to splinter apart. And that's what will probably happen with Remnant Fellowship, uh, because Gwen Shamblin was the the organizational glue that held everything together. It was her personality, their uh, worship of her, if you will, that kept the group together. And uh, Joe Laura, that, that is such a bizarre story that she basically got rid of her longtime husband, David. <laughs> of like
0: 40, 38 uh, years yeah, or so. Yeah, And yeah. And she was so against divorce.
1: Yeah. And yeah. then
0: he got fat. And then she, like I said, Shelly Miscavaged to the nunnery. And then Superman. What was he? Superman? What was his? He was some actor. Uh, he
1: was Tarzan. Tarzan. He was tar- tar- Tarzan in New York. He, yes. was, uh, he was one of these, oh uh, you know, uh, Tarzan adventure hero types. Uh, in, I don't know how long ago that was. When he married Chamblin, he was in his 50s. Uh, and he was for her a trophy husband. Yeah. And she had that bizarre wedding where she was uh, <laughs> yes. like a, a, a fairy queen dancing in her bizarre and the, outfit. The children, with that crazy hair. Oh my, uh, oh, the
0: crazy hair. Ah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, they're going to do two movies uh, about Shamblin, one will be done by Lifetime. Uh, and then Jennifer Grey will play uh, Shamblin. Okay, have you seen
0: the photo of that yet?
1: uh, uh, Yeah, it looks bizarre. Last
0: week they posted it, Uh, and a uh, a boy from Little Rock did the wig because part uh, of her story is the
1: hair. The hair. The hair. hair. Yeah, it was the epitome (laughs) of big... Big hair. You, you, I mean, it was it was paralyzed and sprayed paralyzed into place. Paralyzed and sprayed, yes. And it looked like a wig, but it wasn't. No, it was her uh, hair. It was her hair. And then, uh, you know, then I there's another series that is now going to be done by HBO as well. Oh, because did, the the Chamblin story is just such a bizarre oh, story. Totally. I mean, G- Gwen Chamblin actually started out fairly credible. She uh, was a dietitian, well-educated. She wrote a successful book, very successful book, in which she said, you know, if we really uh, pray to God and ask the Lord to help us with our diet, uh, I think God will be helpful. and, And we can diet more effectively with faith as a component of the diet and a lot of people embraced that and she became a best-selling author and she made i'm sure millions of dollars from her book and lectures but then it changed and it evolved into a subculture and then that subculture became a cult that worshiped gwen shamblin in my opinion and uh, subsequently she created this church And I guess she had some exposure to the United Pentecostal Church International or Jehovah's Witnesses, who both insist that there is no such thing as the Trinity. And so she incorporated that into her own little church. Yes,
0: that was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: and and that made her unique. And that's what uh, cult leaders typically do. I see this over and over and over again. They collect different beliefs from different yes. groups, typically copying them. Uh, Keith Ranieri copied almost everything from Scientology, Landmark oh. Education, uh-huh. uh, Ayn Rand writings. Yeah. But, but uh, in the case of most of these religious groups, they will grab little doctrines from other groups, create a composite that is unique in in its composition, in what pieces they put together and then they will say look i'm the only one who's got it right i mean where else can you go that has this doctrine this doctrine Mm -hmm. this doctrine Mm -hmm. and without those doctrines you cannot be saved and so from a christian standpoint uh, it always is salvation by works Mm -hmm. it is not salvation by grace Mm -hmm. which is the typical message of christianity but rather no, Jesus died on the cross, but it wasn't enough. But
0: right, You, but. Need,
1: you need us. Mm-hmm. You need Jesus. I call it Jesus plus theology, right. where Shamblin would say, Jesus died on the cross, great, but it wasn't enough. You need to be with me. You need to be in the remnant fellowship. You need to be really thin. You need to believe all the doctrines that I have put together in a unique way, and only then... Can you make it into heaven? And so these people are basically, in a way, psychological, emotional prisoners. Oh, totally. And they're they're locked in there with the with the ministry. They feel that if they leave, they're going to hell. They're going to lose God. They're going to miss heaven. And so they stay for years and years and years, and they suffer a lot. A lot of these people in groups like uh, Remnant Fellowship, mm-hmm. they they. They suffer, but they suffer because they think they have no alternative. And in that sense, it's an unseen uh, kind of prison. You can't see the bars, but they're there. And that's constructed by the leader.
0: Yeah, that's insane. Also with Gwen's church, if you gained weight, you were on on the outs. And if your kids didn't obey, then you were responsible. If your kids weren't abiding in uh, Christian principles. Um, now Rick one thing about you you ha- obviously born into Jewish faith you sure know a lot about Christianity. Yeah.
1: You've well, got to have
0: the- you have to have some belief then that Jesus had something to do with this cuz you know it better than a lot of Christians I know.
1: Well the the reason why Lisa is because I end up working with people that are in bible-based supposedly bible-based religious cults Mm -hmm. and they twist the scriptures and they manipulate it so i have spent literally decades untwisting scriptures and basically just working with a good study bible and what i will tell people is look you know i have this niv study bible and everything every verse has a footnote Mm-hmm. And what is that footnote? It is the consensus of biblical scholars mm-hmm. over a period of centuries as to what this scripture means, and sometimes it 'll say we 're not really sure or we don 't know or it, it most of the time they will they will define it and I will say why is it your why is it that your group is interpreting this scripture in a way that it has never been interpreted historically?" Uh, And then the next question I ask that person is does this interpretation empower the group and does it put you in a position of vulnerability? Because if that is the case, if that is the case, then, then you can see that the self interest of the leader is at play here, not the Bible. And so, uh, I will talk to people about, uh, the, the most basic message I think. Of Christianity, which is salvation is free, you you can have it without even fellowshipping, you can That's have right. it without baptism. That's right. Uh, even the Baptists would say, if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have salvation, even if you didn't get to be baptized before right. you died. So, so what I say to people is, these people that you're involved with. From a a Christian biblical perspective, they are setting themselves up as brokers. They are saying that they are God's exclusive brokers Mm -hmm. for salvation, and that they have to, you have to go through them, and they have to give you the nod, the approval. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what Jesus did. It doesn't matter what God did. It's are you with them or are you not with them? And then I ask the question, who does that serve? Does that serve God or does that serve this man-made organization on Earth that is uh, manipulating you? And it's, you know, there are organizational structures with a hierarchy and so forth. But let's just say there are some that are, are relatively benign and are not hurting people. And there are others that are extremely destructive.
0: Well, this is the podcast where people will say they're going to save this one, they're going to keep it on their phone, and they're going to push this one out. Because this is the best way to approach someone that uh, there are parents right now listening that go, I have a child who's in XYZ, or I have a parent or a sister. It's like the same thing with somebody who has someone who's in addiction, you do anything you can to help them, to throw them a lifesaver. And as you know, in addiction, a lot of times people go, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep loving my bottle, my my booze, my whatever they're doing." And it's the same thing with this. So. All we can do is get the message out. We're doing it. All your, your book, uh, Cults Inside Out, will be in the show notes. I'll put some links to other things that I've seen you on uh, through the years. You're a great communicator. And, you know, Christianity, we'd love to have you because you are almost one of us. Because the Jewish faith, we're the, the original anyway. <laughs> so we'd love to have you. You've done a great job today. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Lisa.
0: Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.